It's incredible how God can use one available life who's just open with the gifts God has given them. And that's why we're encouraging that for you because of stories like that. I do want to say before we open the word that we are about to start school in our local schools here, elementary schools, junior high, high school, all the many schools that make up Auburn City or Lee Scott or wherever you are educating your children. And if you're going back to school this week, I just want to encourage you. This is the most unique set of circumstances for going back into school. And I want to encourage you to make sure that your number one pursuit this year is the stability that comes from knowing Jesus for yourself. I want to encourage our college students, thousands of you who are moving back to Auburn, but you're moving back to an Auburn that is unlike anything you can recognize before. And I feel so bad for the freshmen who are moving here for the first time because it's like we're all learning this new normal together and then they get thrown into a new season of life where they didn't even really get to graduate high school and now here they are in a brand new circumstance We're available to pursue Jesus together, even if it looks different during these days. And I wanted to have a moment before we open the word of God to pray for our teachers, our administrators, and all those who are leading into uncharted waters, coaches, uh, officials in our government, because these are impossible decisions that no matter what you do, it's going to have negative consequences and you're going to receive negative feedback. I can personally feel their pain, but not to the level that some of them are feeling it right now. So can we just as a church family pray for our teachers and pray for all of those who are in a position where they have to make decisions and lead in waters that they've never navigated before. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just want us as a church to have a moment to love on and appreciate all of those who are getting ready to go back to school. I pray for parents who are full of anxiousness and a weariness about how to make decisions based on safety. I pray for teachers who have no idea how they are going to navigate the new field that is educating their classroom. I pray for our university, our high schools, our middle schools, our elementary schools, our principals, our everybody who's in a position of leading. God, would you fill them with a comfort that comes from knowing that you are with them in these challenges? God, would you keep us safe? I pray once again, like we have prayed 10,000 times, I pray once again for a sudden miraculous end to this virus. In the name of Jesus, that you would release our schools to be able to go back in safety and enjoyment of community, that you would release our education system. God, in the name of Jesus, more than anything, would you empower us to persevere and endure? And would you keep us holding on to hope? We love you, and we thank you for those who serve our community and our city so well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to close out our season that we've been calling Pivot. Can you look at somebody next to you and say Pivot? Very loud and obnoxious, like Ross Geller. Pivot. Every week we're considering all the things in our lives that have to become adjustable that we thought were foundational. So just to recap, if you missed it, a lot of you are new. When you pivot, one foot stays in place and one foot stays movable. I'm not going to do the full circle, but that's kind of how it works. And what we're doing in this season is we're saying there's a lot of things this year that we thought were foundational, that we thought were immovable, that we thought God would never touch or never change. And God has changed up the plan. 
He's changed up cities that some of you thought you were going to be living in. He's changed up jobs. He's changed up financial pictures. He's changed up sports and activities. He has literally allowed for changes to occur in many areas of our lives that we thought couldn't be touched. And what that causes in us is a tendency to recognize, okay, what are the things that are actually foundational to my life that don't need to change? And what do I need to let go of that I didn't even recognize I was holding on to so tightly? And so it's been a season loaded with letting go, loaded with handing over control of things that we didn't even ever really have control of in the first place, loaded with letting go of idolatry that we didn't even know existed in our own hearts and lives. And I want to encourage you at the very end of this season that we've been in, we're going to jump into a new series next Sunday, and I'm so excited about that word, do not miss church next Sunday, but I'm equally as excited as the one I'm about to bring in this moment right now. I wanted to preach about the one thing that you can't afford to let go of. The one thing that I feel like a lot of people in our church are on the edge of coughing up in the midst of so much uncertainty and pain and suffering. It's the word that we lifted up again and again in that song, Anchor. It's the word hope. The title of my sermon today is called Hold On to Hope. Hold on to hope. Hebrews encourages us to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because he who promised is faithful. Could you look at somebody next to you and say, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Come on, get your hopes up. Last night I was in the car with my wife and I was telling her about this opportunity that has kind of come into my life and I'm excited about it. I was like, I'm so excited to tell you about this. I think this might be something that turns into something and God could do something really cool. And, and no joke, not, she's not pessimistic, okay? She's not cynical in any way, but she looks at me recognizing that I have this tendency to be overly optimistic. I have this tendency to project the absolute best possible outcome to end up disappointed on the back end when things don't measure up to how I projected them. And so she literally said, don't get your hopes up. And I said, wow, this is going to be a great sermon illustration because that's exactly what I'm encouraging people to do at church tomorrow. Get your hopes up. And she said this. I'll never forget this. She said, don't get your hopes up because here's what you need to do, Miles. You need to learn to set the bar lower on your level of expectation so that when it gets exceeded, it's a pleasant surprise instead of something that you just expected. How many of you tend to live like that? That you're like, I'll just set the bar as low as possible. And then if somebody overachieves that, if somebody gets above that, then great. But if they end up down there, then that's fine because that's the way I projected this to go anyway. That's called cynicism. That's called being a negative person where the glass is half empty. I don't want to become like that, but I wanted to preach a message to you today about keeping your hopes up as a follower of Jesus. I believe Christians of all people on planet earth have a right, no matter what they are going through, to get their hopes up. Our hope is in a resurrected Savior. And we should always be people who are overflowing with hope. Now, all week long, I've been preparing this sermon, been ready to encourage you and hype you up to get your hopes up and place your hope in Jesus. And let's get some hope overflowing because there's a lot of voices speaking negativity right now. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of difficulty. I feel like we need a change of pace. We need a pivot. And to go from hopelessness to hope is a big jump. And so we're going to need a powerful word. So I was ready to encourage you. I was overwhelmed with truths from the scriptures that were going to fill you up with hope and hold on to the promises of God and let's move forward. But then this week sort of came to a place where it was hitting me like a truck. We can't afford to turn hope into something that we hype up in a sermon or in a powerful worship song. Our hope as believers in Jesus has to have the capacity to collide with the most brutal and painful circumstances in our world at any given time. 
And in a week and in a season where we are literally watching things go from bad to worse, to more worse, to more difficult, to more uncertain, I'm seeing that on a grand scale and in the midst of a global pandemic, we all saw images in the news this week of the explosion that happened in Beirut, Lebanon. A literal section of a city turned completely upside down by something no one saw coming. And those images alone are enough to jar you in the middle of everything else we have going on right now. But I feel like as a group of people, negativity and impossibility is turning into hopelessness between our ears without us even noticing. We've kind of become numb to how bad things have gotten. And I'm afraid that what we're dropping in the process is the hope that's supposed to resound from our hearts at all times in anything and everything. So I want you to know today, we're going to talk about holding on to hope. I'm going to encourage you to never let go of the overflowing hope and joy that comes from being a Christian because Jesus is who he says he is and did rise from the grave. But you need to know this. It's not a delusional hope that produces this sort of fake state of euphoria where we're walking around in a minefield of darkness and brokenness just going, well, I'm just going to choose to be happy because I'm a Christian. No, that is not Christian hope. That's denial. That's delusional. Christian hope is we see how broken everything is. We see how bad the suffering is. We know how dark the night has become, and yet Jesus still wins. There is a way to have hope in the midst of anything and everything that acknowledges how bad everything is, and it's because Jesus came in the form that he did and died the way that he did. The fact that Jesus died bleeding out naked in front of everyone who was there that day shows you that even the most pure of intentions, even the Son of God himself was put in a situation in a circumstance where he wasn't above our pain, waiting for us to rise above it. He joined us in our pain and said, I know it's bad. I'll take the worst of it and meet you there. You can find hope in me. And I believe the difference between the version of hope that a lot of us are tempted to believe in and the version of hope that God wants to get across through me today is the difference between putting your hopes in your own projected outcomes and plans and putting your hope in the promises of God. See, that's the difference. When your hope is constantly tied and anchored toward your own version of how you want the world to go or how you want your family to turn out or how you want your own career to play out, you're constantly going to ride the wave of your own circumstances. And it's the reason why your emotions tend to stay on par with how things are going lately. My emotions flow with how are my relationships? How are my finances? How is everything going on in my life currently? And I'm telling you, in 2020, in general, in the midst of a broken, sinful world that is destined to be destroyed, let me just tell you this. If you live like that, you are setting yourself up for hopelessness. You are setting yourself up for a dead end. And some of you, 2020 has been just that. The only way to endure in hope is to anchor your heart to the promises of God, not the plans of man. And if you're anchored to the promises of God, here's the great thing about that. No matter how much things change out there, no matter how crazy things are going in here, you have an anchor for your soul that's firm and secure because everything that God promises in the scriptures is yes and amen in Jesus And so if your soul is anchored to those promises, then you know that God, who is surely faithful, will do what he promised. 
You know that every ounce of suffering this side of heaven is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that will far outweigh the level of what we're going through right here and right now. You know everything that Jesus promised. You will have trouble, but take heart. Here's the ultimate promise. I'm with you. I'm with you to the very end of the age. God gives peace through promises, not plans. Think about Joshua when he went into the promised land, right? This is like the most impossible situation ever. And God's trying to tell Joshua, here's how we're going to do this. Your boss, Moses, is gone, the greatest leader in the history of these people, the one who would miraculously provide for them every time they were at the end of themselves. Yeah, Moses is gone. Read Joshua chapter 1. And I'm going to invite you to lead these people into the promised land. And here's how we're going to do it. Now, instead of handing Joshua the blueprint of the plan for, we're going to take this city this way, and then we're going to go around here, and then you're going to tell the people this, and then we're going to go here. No, no, no. He doesn't doesn't live in plans for comfort. He lives in promises. What was his promise? I'll be with you just like I was with Moses. That's enough. We have to learn how to trust the promises of God instead of the plans in our own heart. And my concern for so many of us over this season is that real hopelessness is setting in because our hearts have been anchored to our own projections or our own interpretation of how the world is unfolding around us. I'm concerned not just for those of us who are going through impossibility, not just for those of us who are in tragedy and difficulty, which we love you and we're praying for you, but I'm talking about people who have been numb to a lot of what's been happening. Your own numbness is producing in you a level of internal cynicism and negativity that I don't think you're taking account of in your soul right now. And for me, I'm always looking at the news and I'm looking at politics and I'm looking at the world around us and I'm going, wow, I, I've gone to a place of hopelessness that is not healthy. And here's the consequence of that. If you live in a state of hopelessness, you will miss the opportunity to encounter Jesus that's right in front of your face in whatever you're going through. I want to show you one of the most unique miracles Jesus does in the entire Bible. If you have your Bible, hold it up all over this room. Hold it up. Got to keep the Bible drill going, guys. Oh, man, we got new people in the room. So if you're single, keep it up. Everybody else, let's go down. Let's have an awkward lunch right after this where you guys have conversations. Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. I want to show you one of the most unique miracles Jesus ever did. And the reason why I say that is because most of the time when Jesus does a miracle, he does it in the context of someone desperately seeking him out who's on like the last leg of their hope and they're just so desperate that they throw themselves in front of Jesus and say if there's any way you can do this if you're willing master lord can you heal her can you heal me can you come through right here and right now and they fall desperate Jesus has compassion on them and heals them and he does this over and over and over again over again through the context of the gospels what's strange about John chapter 5 is that this is an account of Jesus intentionally seeking out to heal someone who doesn't even recognize he has the opportunity to be healed that given day. It's a story about a man who's trapped in hopelessness because of his circumstances. And I believe it's going to collide with our lives right here and right now. John chapter 5, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. Here we go. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. 
Okay, what I want you to see, Jesus traveling around, this is early on in his ministry. He's done a few miracles, but not many. He's not as well known as he will be later in his ministry. And he's coming into Jerusalem from the north. You gotta love these little details in scripture. Jesus always takes the route that most people ignore and goes to the people who are suffering and oppressed the most. In John chapter 4, he doesn't have to go through Samaria when he's on a particular trip. In fact, most Jews would take a longer trip to get away from these people that they thought were half-breeds. There was racism happening at the time, and Jesus goes, no, we must go through Samaria in John chapter 5. Now he's going into Jerusalem, and his pathway into Jerusalem is not... Let's go wherever the chief politicians are. Let's go wherever the Pharisees are. Let's go wherever I can be around important people. He literally chooses the route where the maximum amount of suffering is happening. And it says that there's a pool there by this gate where all of these diseased and crippled and lame people would lie. Now, here's the thing. Look at verse 4 in your Bible. It's probably not there. It probably has a footnote. Look at verse 4. And at the bottom, when you look at that footnote, in my Bible, it says this. It says, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Here's the thing. This verse was added as commentary after John wrote the Gospel of John. So a lot of people will tell you, you can't trust the Bible. Stuff got added to it and all the many instances that you look at where where man might have got involved. No, the Bible actually acknowledges when somebody has come after and added anything. And so verse 4 is a commentary that a scribe added later to give detail to why all of these sick people are surrounding this pool. And, And John doesn't really give any commentary about whether or not they would actually be healed if the event that they were hoping for happened. The truth about what's happening in this moment is that a lot of people felt like if they were the first one in this pool, after it got stirred up, they would be healed. And what they don't realize that they did in doing that is they created a view of God that was a first come, first serve type of God. When the water gets stirred, if you can make it in there first, God's only got enough power for one healing per time the water is stirred. And they all have their hopes in the fact that One day the water's gonna get stirred and I'm gonna be the first one in and I'm going to get healed. Now look at verse five. This is what I really want you to see. This is what I really want you to see. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. This is so fascinating. This is one of those moments when you're reading your Bible where you can't afford to just go with the narrative. You have to look at what's actually being said. Jesus, with divine powers to heal, has walked among people who are suffering. And he has picked out someone and asked questions about someone who clearly has been there longer than others. And finds out this man hasn't been able to walk for 38 years. And the son of God, the walking, healing power of hope, walks up to this man and says, do you want to get well? Just stop right there. Opportunity of a lifetime. Almost everyone who gets healed by Jesus has to scratch and claw and make their way somehow in a collision course with where he's going to be. And just get him to touch you. Remember the woman who just like, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. But I got to get to him. No, Jesus has found this man, pointed him out specifically and says, do you want to get well? And this is the answer. Sir, I, I have no one to help me. 
Every time the water gets stirred, I'm never going to be the first one there because my condition is more desperate and I got no friends and no community who care to take the time to get me there. Do you see it? What's ultimately binding this man is not the condition of his body physically. It's the condition of his heart spiritually. He's trapped in hopelessness and has no idea how trapped he is because his own hopelessness has blinded him to the opportunity of a lifetime and Jesus is right in front of his face. Do you want to get well? He doesn't even answer the question. The answer is so obvious. Yes, I want to get well. I would love to get well. Oh no, I just like hanging out around a pool with all these people who are suffering. Yes, I want to get well. He's so hopeless and negative and isolated that he doesn't even entertain the capacity that Jesus could do anything about the condition that he's in. No one's here to help me. You know what he's done? He's done what a lot of us do. He's isolated himself in favor of self-protection. He's decided things are never gonna change They're never going to get better. So I'll protect myself from the pain of that negative outcome by isolating myself and blaming others. That's where a lot of us find ourselves today. And we don't even recognize that we have an opportunity with the Son of God, full of hope, right in front of our faces. And that might be the hardest thing about this church is because Jesus is always the source of hope. He's always the one who's available. I am convinced that it is possible that there are circumstances and situations that the God of the universe is divinely orchestrating on your behalf to speak to you, to get your attention, to carry you into a new beginning, to give you the opportunity to be used in the story of God. And it's entirely possible that you and I in this season have become so isolated because we've gotten so tired of the negativity. We've gotten so tired of the hate. We've gotten so tired of the bad news. We've actually let that seep into our souls and we don't know that that hopelessness is robbing us of a very real opportunity. And Jesus is what I love. Jesus is not intimidated by anything. Jesus is never intimidated by your sin. He's not intimidated by your unbelief, especially if you bring that to him and go, I want to believe, help my unbelief. And he's not intimidated by your hopelessness either. He doesn't even give this man a chance to change his mind about whether or not he wants to re-answer the question. I love this. Jesus is going, okay, you're going to get your new beginning right here and right now. Watch how merciful and compassionate our God is. He can meet you there. He can meet you there. Come on, verse 8, read this. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Get, somebody say, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Very simple. All Jesus had to say was the word. And all the man had to do was obey the word. This is what I love about Jesus' miracles. People think when Jesus heals somebody, he, he does all the work, and then the person just gets to benefit from the supernatural. Most of the time when Jesus does a miracle, he requires a step of faith on the back end of a miracle. It's similar to salvation. Jesus does all the work, but faith is involved. So when Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk, if this man doesn't overcome his real issue, which is hopelessness, he's never going to get up and walk. If he stays in that level of negativity, if he stays in that level of unbelief, what would he say in return related to the last question? He would go, I can't. I don't know how to walk. So thank you for telling me to get up and pick up my mat and walk. You know, this is not the only time Jesus does this. When he heals a man with a shriveled hand, he says, stretch out your hand. I love that. It's like, Jesus, that's the one thing he can't do. That's why he's coming to you. Do you know your faith is a part of the miracle? 
Jesus does it all, but some of us don't have access on a daily basis to the spiritual promises that are ours in Christ Jesus simply because we don't activate the faith it takes to walk in the miracle. Remember that song we sang at the beginning, You Are My Greatest Miracle? Sometimes I believe the miraculous power of Jesus is right in front of our faces, but we are just one simple step. Literally, it could be picking up your mat and walking away that leads to the miraculous power of Jesus being on display. But it requires trusting in his word. This is where I want everybody to look up here and do not miss this. If you've tuned me out at this point, I know, I know this message is heavy and where we're going is going to get even heavier, but you have got to understand this. When you read a story like this in the Bible, there's a tendency to still isolate yourself and become cynical with it and go, I wish Jesus would walk up to me when I'm at the pool. I just heard myself say that, and personally, I don't. Um, but some of you are thinking, I, just, I wish Jesus would come walk up to me face to face and offer me a miracle. Here's what I'm trying to say to you today. You could be trapped in 38 years of slavery and sin. You could be trapped in a cancer diagnosis. You could be trapped in financial ruin. You could be trapped in, in a tragedy that is absolutely unspeakable. And I think about how do you respond when something comes across your view and you go, okay, how does the hope of Jesus collide with that? Because he's not going to walk up to me and make everything better in a situation like that. They're going to be walking in complicated difficulty the rest of their lives. How does Jesus give us hope? Here it is. The hope of Jesus is in front of you just as real, if not more than in this story, because you have the promises of God in front of your face every day of your life. See, we love to read a story like this and go, I wish he would change everything for me. He's done more for you than he did for this man. He's got the Holy Spirit available to enlighten your mind and connect your heart to the promises of God in the scriptures. And so I believe every single day of our lives, we have this invitation, we have this opportunity called hope right in front of us. And I want it to read like this. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be rescued from your own hopelessness? Do you want Jesus to come and meet you in the misery of however bad things have gotten today? It is going to be the promises of God that give you peace. And it's going to be our ability to hold on to them regardless of how ugly and difficult and broken things get out there. This is not a version of hope that, that preaches clean. This is a message where you're going to get your hands dirty sometimes. You're going to get your soul in difficult situations. You're going to get your heart broken. You're going to be facing circumstances that look nothing like what you thought they were going through. But what it means to trust the promises of God is go, no matter what, no matter how bad things get, no matter how long I have to wait, no matter how miserable this becomes, I will not let you go until you bless me with the promises of your word. And that's how a Christian lives their life in the midst of any pain. I definitely don't want to diminish pain today. I want to acknowledge it. Jesus never diminishes the pain that you're in. But I love that he doesn't have time to allow this man to project the pain of his past and let that be the reason he forfeits the possibility of the future. I want to acknowledge your pain. I'm not making light of it. I don't know what you're going through, but I do want to say this. If you allow the pain of what's happened until this moment become something that you project into your future, your future is going to be a collection of misery that looks a lot like your past. But when you allow the word of God to create a new beginning and new possibility for you today, I believe we can hold on to hope. And I believe there's a new story about to unfold.
Somebody say, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Okay, I got a few minutes left. Here's what I want to do. I want to take this story from John chapter 5, and I want to bring it home in a very specific and practical way. This is not going to connect to every single person's situation. I've tried to cast this net as wide as possible so far, but now I want to bring it really clear and really detailed. I believe God has some very specific things that he wants to speak to in your life that the enemy is trying to rob you of in 2020 that you are not called to let go of. I want you to learn to hold on to hope. And I want to speak to you about three things that just like this man, you will lose if you do not create the capacity in your life to hold on to the hope of Jesus no matter what. If you need them in a hurry, I'm going to give them to you very quickly and then I'm going to flesh them out. They are friendships, dreams, and joy. Friendships, dreams, and joy. Like I said, this is not for everybody. Maybe there's a season in the future for some of you where you're going to watch this gathering and go, that's exactly what's happening to me right now. But I want to speak very specifically to things that the enemy will take if you actually cough up your hope. Number one, if you are following with points, number one is what I call life-giving friendships. Life-giving friendships. Did you notice that the thing that has this man more paralyzed than his condition is the heartbreak he's experienced relationally from other people. I'm not, I'm not trying to read too much into a story that we don't have all the details of. We don't know this guy's name. We don't know what happened in his family. We don't know what the last 38 years have looked like. But based on his response to Jesus, no one is here to help me. The reason why that's the first thing he brings up as the reason why he can't accomplish healing is because he is deeply wounded relationally and has not been healed of that bitterness. And what's happening is the hopelessness that comes from people letting you down causes you to miss opportunities for people to actually do something different in your life right now. If you're not careful, You've had bridges that were burned in relationships in the past, and you think they're in the past, and it's just, I'll never talk to them again. I'll never address that again. They're just, they're just off. They're just different. And you think that heartbreak is not affecting you in any way because it's in the past. But actually, it's blocking you from the ability of seeing an opportunity for a relationship that's right in front of your face today. I've met so many people who are relationally wounded and they let the hurt of people who didn't come through for them in the past cause them to miss the possibility in the present of a life-giving friendship that God sent their way. God sent Jesus to this man. Some of you, it would not matter how good the friends are that are on your front door with a meal. You'd still roll your eyes because you're that pessimistic. You're that hurt. You're that trapped in unforgiveness. See, these are the things that Jesus comes to heal that we don't even recognize. We see the physical issues. We see the virus. We see the things that go, okay, Jesus, can you touch this? Can you make that situation go away? But the things on a soul level that Jesus wants to get to and touch your heart and life in could be, listen, you've lost all hope in life-giving friendships being formed around you because you're still holding on to bitterness and anger toward people who maybe rightfully so you're holding a grudge against. I want to invite you out of hopelessness today, and I want to open you up into the currency of true wealth, which is relationships. I'm convinced, especially in 2020, that the currency of a wealthy life is not money. It's relationships. And there are life-giving relationships that Jesus wants you to encounter him through that are available to you on the backside of getting healed from whoever hurt you in the past. 
So whenever we as a church encounter somebody in the life of our church who's particularly bitter or closed off toward the idea of community, one of the questions I wanna ask really quickly, and I don't wanna be rude, but I wanna just be like, who hurt you? It's clear that the community that's in front of you, that's open to you, is so available to take you in to a new level of knowing you and being known, moving forward and supporting you. But you're so hurt from the past that it's blinding you to the opportunities that are right in front of you. So let's get you healed of that so you can experience the blessing of this right now. You got to get your hopes up. Man, there are people that God wants to bring into your life. And I know you got burned in high school. I know you may have got cheated on by your spouse. I know there may have been things in your life that are very, very, very real sources of pain. I'm not mitigating that. I'm not diminishing it. I'm just asking the question, are you going to let that make you hopeless for the rest of your life? Or are you going to say yes to a new opportunity for community that's yours in Christ Jesus? There are life-giving friendships that God has for us. And I just want to encourage you, you know, my wife and I, for the first time, have started to thrive in a community group here at ACC. Imagine that. The lead pastor and his wife can be in a community group. That normally doesn't happen. But as we've experienced it, I've thought about the number of people in our church who maybe love the preaching here. They love the worship here. I can't wait till we're gathering together again, but I just wonder how much more you would love the life of this church if you could sit in living rooms and at dining room tables with people that you're doing life with deeply and praying for one another and supporting one another. Guys, that's church. That's church so much more than these songs or even this message is church. That's the people of God being the people of God and it's available to you, but you gotta address the wound. Somebody say friends. I love that this series started with the TV show Friends. Maybe it's a fitting end that God's bringing us to. The enemy's going to try to rob you of that. Life-giving friendships. Number two is this. Don't let, don't let this freak you out when I say it. New dreams and visions. New dreams and visions. All the charismatic people are like, here we go. And I just want to calm everybody down and go. When I say dreams and visions, I'm not as much talking about what happens when you sleep or a supernatural experience that you can't explain. I'm more so talking about the capacity to project hope into the future, to project optimism or a new season that you didn't see coming that has surprising outcomes when you're following Jesus. Here's what I know about this guy. The invalid in John chapter five has no room for God to do anything new for him because he's made up his mind. It's the way people are. It's the way I am. It's the way the world is. Nothing's gonna change. When you encounter Jesus and you experience his hope, there's never a time on planet earth, no matter how old you are, that you expire from new dreams and visions for what's possible in and through your life. And for a lot of you, you can think back to a time in your 20s where you were really idealistic, where you were really optimistic. I'm thinking of some of the men in our church who are in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, or 70s, some of them in their 80s. And you remember in your 20s when you graduated, you were ready to take on the world. It was like, I cannot wait to step into my career. I can't wait to start a family. I cannot wait to innovate, maybe start this company. Maybe God will take me to this city. And the whole world was like this space of openness. And maybe the thing that has made you so negative and hopeless and cynical is not that you didn't accomplish your dreams. It's because you accomplished your dreams and put your hope in them and found out that they didn't deliver a level, a level of satisfaction and fulfillment that they promised. And so a lot of you are hopeless today because you got what you were dreaming about. You got more of an income than you ever thought possible. You got there in your career. You've got a beautiful family. You've got all this stuff all around you and you're going, it wasn't fulfilling and now I'm cynical. And now I just kind of sit back and accept things 
as they are because everybody's out to get what they get for themselves. And I'm just gonna spend the rest of my life coasting on what happened in a previous season. There's a man in our church who I'm speaking to today. You're so trapped in that level of negativity and what God wants to say to you, you might be 62 years old and God's going, you have no idea what I'm dreaming about for your future. If you could just see the opportunity that's right in front of your face, but God is not going to provide that for somebody who's stuck in the slavery of hopelessness who's stuck in a place where they go, you know what, everything that's happened in my life has already happened. And so I wanna speak to people right where they are today. I believe God in 2020 wants to birth new dreams and visions. And not just for the younger people in our church. We are a church of dreamers because we believe that in following Jesus, the best is always yet to come. And that's not hype. Oh my gosh, even as I said it, I'm like, ugh, that's so like, let's get hyped up. The best is yet to come. No, like, For real, church, if you're following Jesus, he's always thinking about the next thing he wants to take you to. He always wants to give you a new on-ramp, a new opportunity. This could be for your family. This could be for your career. This could be just in your life personally. Some of you are trapped in slavery because you've been committing the same sin for so many decades. You don't believe there's a new day. And God wants to go, stop projecting the slavery of the past and absolutely guaranteeing that that's the reality of your future. I wanna give you a new dream. I want to give you a new vision and it looks like freedom and it looks like fullness and it looks like everything I've been dreaming about for you for so long. You know what God will do? He'll restore your wasted years. He'll take those seasons where you're so miserable, where you thought you were never going to change and he'll actually use the story of your misery to deliver somebody in the same season from going where you went and you'll watch how the glory of God is put more on display through giving you a second chance than just sitting on the sideline and believing things are always going to stay the same. I'm believing for new dreams and visions to come in your life today, particularly a dream and a vision of Jesus. It's not about, oh, I, I could start this company or I could do this or, 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 or I, would, I could graduate in this. No, no, no. It's about a new level of hope rising going, wow, even in the midst of global suffering and pain, I get to resound with hope because I am a follower of Jesus. That's what's yours. Somebody say friends. Somebody say dreams. Here we go. Last one. Fullness of joy. Life-giving friendships, new dreams and visions, fullness of joy. If this man has lost anything other than his ability to walk, he has lost all joy. And one of the things that we believe on a deep level theologically at this church is that God's ultimate calling for our life is the pursuit of absolute joy that comes from being a child of God. God has actually paired his glory with your satisfaction. We say it over and over again, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so it makes sense that the glory of God is the most exalted when the children of God are enjoying the gift of being a child of God, full of joy. But here's the thing, this joy is not a flippant emotion that you experience when a circumstance goes right. This joy is pure and intimate and can only exist on the other side of knowing Jesus personally. What did James say? James said, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters when you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. How in the world does a Christian look at a trial and find joy in it as what they wanted to happen happens in the opposite direction and causes more pain for their life? They recognize 
that more is happening than that they can see with their physical eyes. And they also recognize the opportunity that they have in the here and now to experience a closeness with Jesus that'll make them more like Jesus and more fulfilled in joy in the long run. I truly believe, and this is crazy to say, I truly believe that the reason why your suffering has gotten as bad as it has gotten, the reason why the world is as sinful as it is and as broken as it is, is because the glory that God is going to get eternally from the joy of the children of God who have hoped and hoped and hoped and hoped and now receive everything that they have been promised, the joy of that moment is going to far outweigh the misery of the suffering in the meantime. So I can't make the pain go away and I can't explain why it happened. I can't speak to everybody's situation individually and say, this is how you should handle this. But I do know this, when you're in a battle and when you're on your knees going, God, I can't believe that happened. And God, I don't know how I'm gonna make it through. There's a closeness that comes from knowing Jesus in that space that's going to produce an eternal weight of glory that's unlike anything you've ever experienced. And I just can't communicate that to you through a screen until you actually get on your face before God and cry it out and bang your fists into the ground and go, God, I just wanna give up, but I'm holding on to you. You are faithful to keep your promises and you will accomplish everything you set out to accomplish. I'm believing for joy to rise up in our day. And maybe the thing that will stand out the most in a world that is panicking in a world that's rightfully hurting. Maybe the thing that will stand out will be the Christian who can look to heaven as tears fall down their face and find the capacity for a smile because they haven't given up their hope that heaven is real and God's gonna make all of this right. We love you, church. I wish I could make the pain go away, but I do know this. Jesus is going to make everything right. He is going to be glorified and we are going to be in heaven. Can I just close with saying this? Don't lose your hope in the goodness of God. Don't lose your hope in the fact that God can turn everything around. And don't lose your hope in the fact that this is an eternal story, not a temporal one. I wanna pray right now. I wanna ask everyone in this room that you would be praying for the thousands of situations and circumstances that are covered by the people who make up the life of our church. And as I pray, I hope that maybe pessimism and cynicism dies in the presence of the optimistic hope that comes from being a child of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, the last thing I want this to be is an exciting message that somebody experiences a moment with you for a few seconds to make them feel better. God, I want this truth to run so deep I want true hope to sustain our people through these dark days. So God, would you bring us close to one another? Would you do in our day what you did for that man in John chapter five? Would you see us in our misery? Would you find us as we've given up all hope? And would you so clearly through your word magnify every promise that you have given for people who are suffering and desperate today? God, I pray for those who are sick. I do pray for the healing of their physical condition. But God, I also pray for the healing of their spiritual vision, that they would hold on to hope, that they would suffer well, that they would endure what you've called them to endure with patience and perseverance. God, I pray for those who are so scared about this fall and going back to school. 
Would you give us a level of hope as Christians that spreads like a contagion more powerful than COVID-19? God, I pray that you would make us contagious people of hope who the songs of our hearts and the songs on our lips would start to transcend the song of misery and desperation that exists in our world right now. God, would you do that through us? We give you our songs, we give you our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, would you stand up all over this room? Would you stand up in the room that you're in right now and let's lift up a song of hope to God and actually live out the truth of what we just heard. Come on.